Hi everyone, how's things? I hope you're doing all right. It's Dave here. Uh, thanks for coming along to another episode of Legends of the Spire. Um, on the podcast this week, I spoke to Jack Broadhead. Uh, now, Jack was uh, a youth player at Chesterfield um, from about 2011 and then was at the club until 2015. Got a very unprecedented three-year contract uh, after his spell in the youth team. And the centre-back did go on to have a few appearances for the first team, also having some loans as well. Uh, around his seasons at the club too. It was obviously a really interesting time to be a Chesterfield player. Um, We had uh, both the tail end of the John Sheridan era um, and the Paul Cook era too. So there was promotions and the League One playoffs and uh, paint trophy finals and things like that all happening around then. Uh, So great to get Jack's perspective on the players that he was training with at the time and kind of what was happening at the club. Uh, over those few years where he was with us. Um, He's gone to have a really good uh, career in the non-league since leaving us uh, and also studied for a degree as well. Uh, So he's currently full-time at Worksop, uh, both as a player uh, and as their development officer too. Uh, It looks like he's going to have a great career in the game. Uh, He's currently doing his coaching badges as well, so we wish Jack all the very best in the future and it was really great to have him on. Um, As always, we are at Spire Legends on Twitter, Legends of the Spire on Facebook and you can find us on the Instagram Aspire Legends 2 now as well. Um, do keep an eye out as we have some rather special merch coming up over the next few weeks uh, so keep an eye out for that uh, but in the meantime here we are with the latest episode of Legends of the Spire with Jack Broadhead. It was quite a it was quite an interesting time to be a Chesterfield around that squad, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It a was, lot um, happened. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot happened in that time. It was a uh, sort of very eventful time for the club. I think it was. Um, you know, look at uh, sort of the rise from sort of when I got there. John Sheridan had just taken over the in league. Or John Sheridan was in charge, and they'd just been promoted to League One. Sort of the the youth team coach, Dave Bentley, was like, look, it's a great place to be. And we had a meeting with all the parents and stuff. And he was just saying, like, even the groundsman's won, like, groundsman of the year and, and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah. it was, it was seemed like a place, like, really on the up. Obviously, <laughs> stadium as well. So, yeah, it was brilliant. Um, am I right in saying that you're from Mansfield? I am from Mansfield, yeah. Born and did raised you, in Mansfield. Um, did you get any stick joining, a, a, <laughs> joining Chesterfield when you're from Mansfield, uh, or not? Uh, not really. I mean, it's like I say, it's obviously a massive rivalry. And sort of when I was growing up, I was sort of went to like, um, you know, training days at Mansfield and stuff and nearly joined their academy on a few occasions when I was younger. But um, it, it was quite, it was just weird the way that I got into the academy at Chesterfield was um, I was actually playing for Nottinghamshire boys, uh, like the county team. And we played against uh, Chesterfield, um, like their their academy under 60s, I think it was. And that's the way I got into it. I had a really good game and uh, the youth team manager, Dave Bentley, saw me and, and wanted to sign me there and give me a scholarship there and then. So, yeah, that was the way that I got into it. But in terms of sort of, um, you know, living from Mansfield and stuff like that, I never got any, any mentions or anything by the fans or anything like that. So nothing that I heard anyway. Um, I think there's so many players that seem to have moved between the two over the years that although it's such a massive rivalry 
having players moving across, it doesn't. It's not, no. not unusual, is it? No, I mean, it's probably the most high-profile one was Sam Clucas, weren't it? So mm. that was that was quite a big one. Um, it, Sam was quite a pivotal player for Mansfield. I went to watch him a few times at Mansfield. Um, and yeah, he was he was probably their best player. We took him and it was, at the time, it was sort of a massive deal, weren't it? But um, And I think he played for Lincoln before that as well. So I think Lincoln, Lincoln to Mansfield and then onto Chesterfield, it was uh, probably, he probably had a lot more of a rough time than whatever I could even imagined of having, but yeah. Were you always a defender, even kind of growing up? Or did um, you move around the pitch a bit? If, it was a bit, I sort of went, played wherever I wanted, really, in terms of, like Sunday, not Sunday league, but like grassroots level. And um, I was sort of always quite big, quite strong, quite fast. So that always got me, sort of allowed me to play wherever I, I played. I mean, I played up front, at the back, uh, midfield. So it was it was all over the pitch, really. Um, so sort of when I first signed for Chesterfield, I was more of a midfielder. Hmm. Um, but it was actually Dave Bentley, who was the youth team coach, who... Said, look, we're going to play you. Uh, we haven't got any centre-halves that we're taking on, so we're going to play you centre-half, obviously, because of your size. So I was like, right, OK, whatever. And never really looked back. And it wasn't until I dropped in, back into non-league that I started playing in midfield again. Um, I think you look at sort of the, in non-league, the ball, sort of the midfield, the role of the midfielder is a lot different. It's, it's not, especially sort of five, six years ago, it was more, you know, bad pitches, hmm. Um, so the ball wasn't on the ground a lot more. So I was able to utilise sort of my height and my physical abilities to sort of dominate games in midfield. So that's how I sort of got playing in midfield when I dropped into non-league. Um, and it's just sort of carried on. I sort of flitted between centre-half and midfield throughout my time in non-league. I mean, I've played at sort of various levels, you know, Conference North of Boston, I, I played in midfield. But then uh, in in the Northern Premier with Grantham last a few years ago, I was playing centre half. So it's it's um, it just I think it depends on the manager as well mm. um, and the team around you. And it, it's just versatile. <laughs> so that's something that I can uh, that I can use to my advantage. Versatile player. I mean, non league. It's the standards really good. It's tough. It's relentless. I mean, there's there's no pauses in the game. It's it's really, really tough. Um, and you sort of see, like, even I'm playing at Workshop now, which is step uh, step four. So it's the lowest step I've played in non-league, but there's some brilliant teams in our league, um, absolutely class teams, and some players that are playing in that league that I think, you know, given the right, especially at Workshop now, I've got a few players that given the right sort of coaching and the right sort of grounding, if you like, they could easily go on to progress into professional clubs uh, without yeah. a doubt. Um, it's just the case of there's that many players now who are good enough. It's just being in the right place at the right time and being lucky enough to get sort of get spotted and exactly. uh, take your chance. It's that's that's how it is. It's very competitive. And you know, I was looking back when I saw when I first dropped into non-league, my my aspirations to sort of get back in and potentially get into a full-time club somewhere. And I came close, obviously, with Boston. We was probably a season off being full-time. I think if my time had gone a bit better in Boston, we would have gone full time like they are now. Um, but there's so many, so many talented kids that just, for whatever reason, haven't made the mark. 
in the in the professional game and they dropped into non-league and flourished. And you know, so you're going to. I really do think in the future you're going to see a lot of teams. So you sort of your lower like League Two, League One teams looking for players in non-league to go and to go and sort of fill their ranks and potentially go from squad players to to first team players. I think. Uh, Jake Beasley, who's, who's a great example, um, obviously played at Chesterfield. I was in the youth. Well, he was. He was. He actually played in age group above himself in the youth team at Chesterfield. So I played with him in the youth team, but uh, he dropped out into non-league. Obviously in the conference, I think it was Sully Hill Moors, and he's got his move back into the league now with Rochdale, and he's flying. Um, I think he scored two goals at the weekend, and you know you look at obviously you look at players like Lars Maguire as well, current first teamer at Chesterfield, who was in the youth team with him. Obviously, we'll have had opportunities when Chesterfield dropped into non-league to go into the league and to be such a young, well, relatively young player to have played that many times for Chesterfield's first team. He's going to have opportunities to go and to go and play. And it's obviously there's there's they're two great examples, but there's there's hundreds of them in the league, and it's yeah, it's really, it's really for for professional clubs. Yeah, and there's so many Chesterfield players now that look at George Carline and Asante and people like that. They've all spent. They've not had illustrious league careers, and you kind of think, why not? Mm. <laughs> it's it's really it's really interesting. Uh, in the last year, how we've had a lot of players that have come from further down the pyramid, and you think actually these are really good players and a lot better than <laughs> some that we've had yeah. in previous years. I mean, some of the leagues, so obviously, step four, they're not our Northern Premier Eastern League at the minute, and if you take sort of you hand picked the better players from each from each team and sort of made like a like a league squad if you like that it'd be a very competitive team mm. um and there's a lot of players that have got experience with higher up the league and you know you can't you can't disrespect non-league at all um it's tough the lads you know myself included we, we work full-time jobs and then you're training tuesday thursday until sort of half nine ten o'clock at night and then a game on a saturday normally a game on a tuesday so it is really really demanding and you've got to be physically fit and mentally really tough to pursue a career in non-leagues again you see players drop down and from professional clubs and they think it's going to be easy and they think that they're going to get straight back up but but one thing is your fitness isn't the same because you go from training every day to training maybe twice a week so then you've got to look at yourself and think well and this was my mistake when I dropped into non-leagues I didn't I just assumed I'd be I'd stay at the same fitness level and my fitness levels dropped dramatically because I wasn't taking I was still you know eating rubbish and and doing this, but I wasn't training, so my fitness levels weren't improving at all. So I had to take into account sort of my diet, um, training, like taking myself away from the game and training on my own, hiring personal trainers. Um, you've got to have the right mindset to sort of recognise that, although this levels, it's not professional level. You're not training every day. You do need to sort of maintain your fitness levels because obviously they drop dramatically. If we take you back to kind of youth career at Chesterfield. So so when actually did you did you join us as a as a, into the that youth team? Um it would have been 2011, I think 2011 2012. Um the, it was the first I think it was the first season at or the second season at the B2 net as it was then. Yeah, second, yeah. Um obviously it was John Sheridan manager Tommy Wright, Mark Crosley. And like I say, there was a real, when I first came into the club, there was a real buzz around the place, you know, 
everyone was raving. They just they just gone up from League Two to League One. Um, they had a really, I think, uh, Craig, uh, who did they have? They had obviously had Tommy Lee, Danny Whitaker, Mark Hallett, sort of these brilliant players. And obviously, I got when I first went into the youth team, we we actually did a training session with the first team. Obviously, I had Jack Lester, and I can remember marking Jack Lester and thinking, "This is a joke." Because <laughs> you, without without disrespect, he was coming towards the end of his career. Um, he was sort of this legendary striker around Chesterfield. I've got a few friends that are Chesterfield fans, so they, when I told them that I'd marked Jack Lester in training, they were, <laughs> they couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you sort of look at me and think, well, I'm a young lad. I should be able to, I'm, I should be faster than him. I should, and honestly, he was spinning balls in behind, beating me in races, beating me in the air, and all. it just absolutely bullied me. And I just thought, wow, this is, this is a different level. I've got, I've got a book of my ideas here. Looking back, I was probably about, I was I was only seventeen. I was a young lad, but I thought this is ridiculous. How how much I've got to work here and how much I've got to improve because he just made me look like a five year old there. Uh, so he was probably he was probably old enough to be your dad, wasn't he? <laughs> Nearly. <laughs> He'd have been right about thirty six then, would he? Thirty five. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure what how old he was, but I, I certainly thought in the back of my mind, I'm. I'm I should be physically better than him, but he was just absolutely dominant. His movement was a joke. And he read, to fair, he was boring on like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough here. There's no way I'm going to be good enough to deal with this week in, week out. And it was, um, yeah, it was really eye-opening. And like I say, Jack Lester, obviously, is a legendary striker, played ridiculous level. And looking back now, he probably should have been embarrassed if he didn't bully me. But, yeah, he was... Um, it was really eye-opening. And like I say, that time, um, they had a really good team. And, you know, they were sort of hopeful for that season in League One. I think it's a bit of a disappointing season, although they won the Johnson's paint, I think. Yeah. Um, obviously, they got relegated again. I can remember it was sort of, it was like a weird season because I can remember like doing the ball boys and st- like obviously all the youth team had to be the ball boys around the pitch. And I can remember watching games and we played really good football and, you know, we kept the ball quite well, and but it was just like we'd, we'd dominate half an hour and then the other team would score two goals before half time. They'd be like, well, that's just... Oh, it, it, it was just a, such a strange time. And mm. I think a lot of the Chesterfield fans got a bit di- disheartened in that time. Potentially should have, you know, strengthened looking back now because I know we lost a few players and obviously that, when you're taking the step up from League One to League Two and you lose some of your best players, it's sort of... You need, you need to sort of improve your squad and you don't need to be going backwards, you need to go forwards. And I think probably the squad, the whole dynamic from what I can gather and what, from talking to players at that time, who were in the first team at that time, was sort of what they understood was that, you know, there was a bit of frustration where maybe John Sheridan wanted to improve the team and and he wasn't given the opportunity to and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was, it was a weird, weird season. Um, for me, on a personal level, though, sort of. I was going to say you got youth, you got youth player of the year, didn't you that season? Yeah, that I had a really good season that year. Well, it was it was quite it was a bit. I just got thrown at the deep end really because it was as a first year. It's you're looking back and you have obviously you have your first year scholarship, you have your second year scholarship, and the idea is for the first first years who are the younger year younger than the second years to sort of go in and and fill the gaps when needed in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But fortunately for me, there was quite a few injuries at the time and that led to me playing. I played every single game in the uh, in my first year, which was unheard of. I don't think it had been done before. Um, and I actually played reasonably well. I can remember I had a few nervous games sort of when I first got into the team, but um, sort of grew into it gradually. And by the end of the season, I was... I was sort of a guaranteed starter, if you like. I was always going to play, even if the second years were fit, because I'd done that well. Um, and that was a real confidence boost to me. I was getting picked to go and play sort of in the reserves, even though I wasn't playing. I was just sort of on the bench, not getting on. But I was going away with the reserves, like Stokes and, and Bradford's, and going away with first-team players and just getting to see how they act in a changing room and sort of how the environment works. And, you know, Mark Crosley was sort of the reserve team coach then and just the way that he instructed the players was a lot different from sort of youth team football where you sort of have to be not not soft with them but you can't you can't get stuck into players as much because obviously the young lads but um Mark Crosley was you know if players weren't doing the jobs especially first team players he was really 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 strict and you know looking back it was something that was was really eye-opening to me. And I, I can remember talk, ringing my dad on the way home from the... It was Stoke. We played Stoke away and Tony Pulis was there watching their reserve team. I didn't get on. I was just I was just watching the game and on the bench. And I can remember ringing my dad saying, it's, like I say, similar to sort of the Jack Lester situation. It's a whole different level, this is. It's, it's completely different. And we sort of had a bit of a chat and he was like, well, you can get there, you can do it, you can do this, you can do that. Trying to, trying to encourage me, but I was like, well, again, I need to really step it up. It's all right playing well in the youth team, but if I'm ever going to play in the reserves, it's, you know, I need I need to change. I need to get better, loads better. And then, yeah, that sort of takes that season sort of to a close, really. I was sort of in and around the in, in and around the reserve team at the end of the season. Like I say, I got Young Player of the Year, which was, um, you know, brilliant, got... Um, got announced at one of the first team games and sort of came on the pitch. Got I got like a shirt and a trophy, which was brilliant. Um, it's probably one of the proudest achievements, to be fair. It sort of my time at Chesterfield, and it was um, yeah, it was really good, really good, really enjoyed it. The second year sort of bit was absolute whirlwind. It was crazy that my second year again, sort of taking my experience with the reserve team knowing that I needed to get a lot lot better if I was ever going to make that make that team and, and get into the reserves I sort of I went away that summer and worked harder than what I'd ever worked before I was in the gym every day like without missing a day I was doing a run and I was doing weights every day and I came back to pre-season the fittest I've ever been I was the strongest I'd ever been. You know, I was winning the bleep tests. I was winning all, all the fitness tests with the with the youth team. And that sort of set me up then for a really good pre-season. And I was made captain of the youth team. Um, and then sort of, like I say, that I had a really good, probably 10 games at the start of that season, like where I was playing. And I look back now, I was playing sort of the best I'd ever played before. It was ridiculous. And, you know, looking back, it was like so consistent as well. And, I was sort of getting in the reserve teams, playing against, you know, seasoned professionals that had played, you know, hundreds of league games and I was holding my own and I was doing well. Um, and that sort of led up to me being offered my contract in sort of the no, 
late October, early November of my second year as a as a YT. So uh, it was a three year contract, wasn't it? Which yeah, I mean, just unheard of, wasn't it? Really, I, I can remember training one of the first times I trained with the first team, and Mark Richards said, um, which I was just saying, having a chat, saying, "Oh, mate, you're right, what have you?" And he said, "Oh, you've got a contract on you," and I was like, "Yeah," and he was like, "Oh, how long is it?" And me being sort of quite naive, I just went, "Oh, three years." <laughs> and he went, three years? Oh, you're the most secure player at the club." And I was like, "I probably should like," but I just, I just didn't realise. I just, said, "Oh, yeah, it's three years." And I don't know whether it offended him or not, or I don't know, but it was, um, yeah, it was like I say, it was. I can remember my youth team coach, Dave Bentley, actually made the comment. He said it's unheard of for a player of this age to be offered such a lengthy contract, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the situation was, but I know there were scouts coming to watch, um, coming to watch every game that we played because they have to give, um, they had to, well, I don't know if it's still the same now, but they had to write for permission to come and watch the games. Um, so for for sort of the start of the season, there was six, there was at least six scouts coming to watch every single game. They didn't tell us who they were coming to watch. Uh, obviously afterwards I got my contract. So for from my perspective, is they was coming to watch me. I don't know what clubs they were from or anything like that, but I think that was sort of the uh, catalyst for me getting a contract. Um, and yeah, it was, like I say, the rest of that year was just an absolute whirlwind year for me. It was brilliant. How do you go from, how do you go from kind of having, like, like you said, a bit of imposter syndrome at the start, feeling, oh heck, I'm not cut out for this, to then being in that position where you're, you're feeling more comfortable and then you end up with a three-year contract. What kind of changed in your in your mentality to, do you think, to get through that? You know, a lot of, a lot of stuff for me is self-belief. Um, and as a player, if I felt confident and I felt that I was, I deserved to be on the pitch and I knew that I'd worked hard enough to deserve a place on the pitch and, and stuff like that, I felt confident to sort of express myself. And I found that if I wasn't confident, I was worried about making mistakes. And if I made, and if I was worried about making a mistake, I w- it would often lead to me making a mistake. And I sort of tried to sort of understand my own mental, my mental process going into games. And a lot of the time it was when I played, I found that when I played badly, I was reflecting on negative stuff that had happened in the past in previous games whether it be giving a penalty away or you know misplacing a pass or losing some headers. And I was reflecting more on the negative side of things. Whereas when I was, I feel like when I was having that run of games where it was consistently very, very good and I was playing very, very good, I had nothing else to reflect on other than my brilliant performance from the previous game, previous game, previous game. A lot of it was mental. It was the mental side of the game and, and getting into that run of fit sort of run of fixtures that I had leading up to me getting my contract where I thought right, I've done all the work possible here. I'm as strong as I can be I'm as fit as I can be like I can deal with this I can I'm confident I can deal with this that confidence just turned me into a different player and a different person at times because I was you know naturally I'm quite introverted whereas looking back sort of in the second year of my youth team obviously being made captain and and, you know, I captained the reserves on a few occasions when first team players were playing. I was quite an extrovert. Mm. And again, that's probably a confidence thing that I've sort of reflected on. And it's something that 
I've sort of learned to deal with as I've got a bit older. But as a as a younger player and a younger person, it would I would sort of found that I would vary from being an extrovert when I'm confident, and then if something bad happened on the pitch or or if I'd had a bad training session, I would quickly back change to an introvert and just try and like protect myself and and not want to sort of be around um, be around the pitch and be around players and just want to protect myself, get off and and that be that. Um, so yeah, it was like I say, really interesting time. Um, yeah, because at the start of that, so the 12-13 season, um, so your kind of second season with us, that's when John we were in League Two again and John Sheridan got sacked, didn't he? And Tommy Wright took yeah. over for a little bit and then Paul Cook came in. Yeah. Um, so it must have been strange when you're, <laughs> you know, kind of getting those plaudits and things coming along and then everything changes in terms of management. It must be a bit strange. Yeah, it was strange looking back. It was... You know, it was difficult for me because I'd worked up a relationship with not so much John Sheridan because he, he was sort of a bit standoffish, but more Tommy Wright. I'd worked up a good relationship with him and Mark Crosley and I felt that I'd proved myself to them. Um, you know, I was I was training with the first team every day and I was training well. Like I said, I was, I was being taken to away matches. I was on the bench numerous times and I felt that I'd sort of got they they got to grips with me and and I'd like I say proved myself to them and I was on the right on the right path and then obviously obviously with um, John Sheridan being sacked and Paul Cook coming in it was like starting fresh um, and I can remember the first few weeks of Paul Cook coming in I didn't train with the first team I was back training with the youth team um, which to me was like I didn't know if I'd done something wrong or or what I was just like, well, okay, I'll I'll just go with it. Um and then I can't really remember what happened to fit, but I got I was on the end up on the bench for, for the FA Cup, the Hartlepool game. Um say, I think you were on the bench for a game before then as well, were you? Was it Aldershot? I think you Yeah, that was that was the first time, that was the first time I went away, uh, Aldershot away. I think I think it was Sam Heard. I don't some Sam Heard wasn't available for some reason. Um, so obviously they needed a centre half, which led to me being taken away. And I was on the bench. Um, I I room with Scott Bowden, but I can remember again being so nervous. And this is before I'd got my contract. This is whilst I was still a youth team player, so I'd never trained with. I hadn't trained with the first team at this point, and it was just a case of. I can remember we was as the youth team we were training next to the first team, when Tommy Wright came over and was speaking to our youth team manager and I think basically what he said is we need centre half who should we take and our youth team manager said me and that's it I've gone with the with the first team down to Oldershot I had to drive home quickly get my train get my tracksuit and what have you and I was straight on the bus down to Oldershot but yeah that was again brilliant experience my dad when I talked rang my dad whilst I was on the way down to Oldershot because I've not had time to tell him and my dad came, drove down to Oldershot, stayed overnight down there in a hotel and came to the game. It was, yeah, a really proud moment. I can remember warming up and um, Shinna said to me, um, what, what are you going to do if you come on? You feel confident? And I can remember thinking, no, I, I do not want to come on. I'm so scared. <laughs> uh, but I just went, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'll do all right. But I can remember in the back of my mind thinking, I hope no one, I hope none of the centre go down injured or anyone gets sent off because I'm, I'm so scared. Um, is it? It must be. It must be really weird then, if 
because all of those players have obviously got relationships and things in the first team. So do you feel like a bit, a bit like you're in the playground? Yeah. <laughs> There's all these different groups of people talking. It must be really odd. Yeah, I get what you mean, but <laughs> be fair, there was some there was some big personalities. I think we had Neil Trotman, um, you know, players Mark Allen, like I say, Craig Clay, Tendai Dreek, who were quite young, and uh, like I say, Scott Bowden at the time. So sort of, they were quite good, really. They made me feel welcome. You know, when we was at the hotel, we had dinner and stuff. They let like come sit with us and, and stuff like that. So it was really good. Mm. Um, you know, there weren't any clicks or anything like that that I was aware of at that time. And although the team weren't performing too well on the pitch, like I say, the, the atmosphere in the dressing room was quite good. Um, obviously, you had players like Tommy Lee who sort of led the changing room, um, you know, brilliantly and sort of big vocal point in the changing room. And I can remember... You know what? I can't even remember what the score was at the Old Show game, but I know they won. Yeah, but all I can remember is from that day is having to run at the end with the substitutes that didn't come on. So we did some running with Shinner at the end. And I was that exhausted from sort of the anxiety of thinking that I'm going to have to come on. And I can remember just doing the running and being like, I literally can't breathe. So I think the whole, the, the anxiety of travelling down, being wor- like scared that I'm going to, you know, not fit in and, and not do, you know what I say, you say it's like mm-hmm. a playground, isn't it? you know, if there's clicks and stuff, are you going to be accepted and what have you? And, you know, it was really, I was really, really worried that I was going to come on, like I say, <laughs> it sounds bad saying it now, but I was just so, so frightened that I was going to, you know, especially when, obviously I can remember that they were winning. I can remember thinking if I come on now and they concede a goal, it's just going to be a disaster and, you know, everyone will hate me and stuff like that. So it was just an absolute nightmare. It was a good old-fashioned goal fest as League Two Chesterfield hosted managerless Hartlepool at the Proac Stadium. First in on the act was Scott Bowden, who blasted in for 1-0 on 16 minutes. And on the half hour, they made it two as Mark Randall finished neatly from inside the area. Two became three just before half-time as some suicidal defending from the monkey hangers allowed Craig Clay far too much space. 3-0 and the Spyrites enjoying themselves. On 54 minutes, it was four. Danny Whittaker's free kick turned in by Tyrell Forbes. But Hartlepool finally got themselves on the score sheet with 12 minutes left via this Anthony Sweeney header. It was scant consolation, though, as just 60 seconds later, Jack Lester found himself clean through and made no mistake with the finish. And the humiliation was complete for the side bottom of League One in injury time as Craig Westcar capitalised on yet more poor defending to finish from close range. 6-1 it ended, Chesterfield into round two. And, and then, like you said, uh, you touched on the Hartlepool. So that was the FA Cup, wasn't it? Um, yeah. I think it was Chesterfield's biggest FA Cup win. Uh, I don't know if it still is, but it was 6-1 versus Hartlepool. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably why I thought he could put me on because they were six one up. But um, it was um, yeah, like I say, I'd not I'd not really spoke to Paul Cook much before that. I probably said hello, like hello, Gaffer, you're right, Gaffer, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it was strange. Like I I was on that. I felt like I was on the bench to make numbers up. Like there was nothing in it really. I was just there to make numbers up, and um, I think they had a few injuries at the time. And like I say, they're probably prioritising the league at that stage. So 
resting a few players and what have you in the in the FA Cup. But it was a really obviously a really good performance. Um and yeah, we've sort of I don't even know, 10 minutes to go, maybe. Um, just got the shot to go and get warmed up. And it was probably a bit of like a publicity stunt for Paul Cook to say that look, I'm 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 showing the youth that they've got a chance to come through and mm. and what have you. But yeah, really grateful for that. And it's something that you know I'll I'll remember forever. Um and like I say, it's it's a very proud moment. Obviously, my dad and my aunt and granddad were both there to watch. So yeah, it was a really proud moment for me. And you know, sort of my FA Cup debut uh, in the first round proper. It was brilliant. Yeah. So the 13-14 season, which is when we won League Two. Yeah. You spent a big chunk of that out on loan, didn't you? I think you had a, a couple of separate loans. You had a spell in the middle, I think, where you were back back yeah. at Chesterfield for a while, and I think you got on the bench again. Um but you went out and had a few loans, didn't you, that season? Yeah, yeah, I went out and had a few loans. I mean, so the start of that year, I can remember the first thing I've, first day of preseason, there was going to be no reserves. So there was no reserve team. And I think that was probably down to Paul Cook wanting a smaller squad where he could have players. So he brought in Gary Roberts, for example, who probably were earning a bit more money and mm. maybe wanted a smaller squad so he could, you know, afford those wages and what have you. I don't know. But there wasn't any, there wasn't the availability wasn't there for a reserve league. I mean, if you looked, it was probably only myself and Jacob Basil that weren't in the squads on most Saturdays. So there was only two players really, and the rest would have been the youth team. So um, no reserve team. So I, I found myself sort of the opportunity to actually play a game of football quite limiting. And, you know, I'd sort of, we played maybe three or four pre-season games, and it was quite evident that I, was going to, I wasn't going to be starting. I mean, um, quite rightly, I wasn't as good as the centre-halves at the time, and there was no way I should have been starting anyway. But, like I say, if the reserves were still there, maybe I'd still have a chance to prove that I could play against, you know, other players that were playing in reserves that had played, you know, loads of league games, and I was sort of matching them. Um, but like I say, it wasn't to be for whatever reason. There was no reserve league. Uh, or there was, but we weren't in it. Um, but yeah, in terms of the loans, it got to a point where I was I was wanting to play football, and uh, I went to Buxton for a month. Um, enjoyed it, did really well. Quite eye opening in terms of non league football. It was my first experience of non league football. Um, it was really rough and ready. Um, I can remember one of my first games for Buxton. We played against Ilkeston, and they had a striker called Gary Ricketts, who I actually went on to play with in. After I got released from Chesterfield, I went on to play with him. Um, but a big guy, a big six foot five striker, tough, you know, massive physique. And, you know, I'm this 18 year old lad who's used to the ball being on the floor and strikers trying to play around you and stuff. And all it was there was balls out wide, balls in the box, massive strikers. And it was really eye opening. It was a different test to what I was used to. But after a month there, I felt pretty comfortable with it. And you know, I came back after a month and I had a conversation with um, a few people at the club, Paul Cook included. And sort of the plan was to go, you know, go in at a certain level in non-league and sort of work my way up. That's what I was told anyway. I was going to sort of work my way up through non-league. And um, so after the month at Buxton, you know, I was assessing my options and they wanted me to go back for three months, Buxton did. So it was either wait around and not play football for a bit um, 
or go back and play football. So I went, I went and played football at Buxton. Again, really enjoyed it. Um, and came back around Christmas, maybe just before Christmas time. I can't really remember, but yeah, I came back in again. It was whether it was a case of still the first team were flying. I was never going to get in. Um, you know, they were beating everyone inside quite comfortably. And even when I think they lost a few games, but they were still battering teams. And it was quite evident that it was a pretty settled starting 11 and there was no room for me whatsoever, even on, on the bench. So in my mind, I'm sort of thinking, well, I need to get out on loan. And at the time there was some sort of rule, don't know whether it's still in place now where, because I'd been on loan to Buxton on two separate occasions already. So I'd gone for the initial month and then for three months after that, the, I couldn't go back until March or something like that. That was the rule. Um, so I ended up going on loan to Matlock instead, obviously because there was a different team. Um, and again, really enjoyed it. And I stayed there until the end of the season. Um, but yeah, it was, like I say, probably progressed me as a player because uh, it was a lot, I was a lot more tough and in terms of sort of dealing with different attributes a lot of, like I say, not a lot of the non-league players at that time were big physical players, and I sort of had to adapt my game a bit. Um, but yeah, it was, like I say, that that whole season I wasn't around the first team much really. I mean, I was trained obviously in training every day and, and stuff like that. And well, in terms of you know playing, I, I sort of I don't I understood that I was never going to play um, purely because of the players that they had in place at that time. I've, I've always wondered, really, is there like a sense of feeling a bit out of sight, out of mind when you go out on loan and that, you know, do you do you wonder how much the club are actually keeping tabs on you? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, and, you know, Paul Cook's first priority was getting Chesterfield promoted and that's, that's the main priority. And, you know, I completely understand that. Um, it did come, they did come and watch a few of my games when I was out on loan. Um, but a lot of the time I think they relied on reports back from the manager that I was playing for and stuff like that so um, yeah I mean it was quite frustrating you know I felt like I'd worked my way to a level and you know that that especially that first year that Puckle took charge for the full season he got rid of um, a lot of the backroom staff that I'd developed relationships with I think the only two members of staff that remained where Shinner and Jamie Hewitt, the physio, you know, youth team coaches when um, first team coaches went, which is understandable because he wanted to bring his own his own team in. Um, but like John Dunworth, who, who I'd worked very closely with, who had taken charge of multiple reserve games, who I had a really good relationship with, had gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're looking at it now as a different club, really. I mean, all my friends had been, had been released. So I was the only one to get a contract. So essentially, it was only me and Jacob Azel who sort of the younger younger players, if you like. In the first six months of that year, Jacob was sent on loan to Norway, I think, or something like that. So he was, that, yeah. Jacob wasn't there. So <laughs> looking back, I pretty much had, I didn't know anyone. It was pretty much like a new club. Although I'd been around the first team, it was pretty much, you know, still on, you know, I wasn't very comfortable around them. I knew them en- enough to say hello and, and what have you, but it was still, you know, I'm a bit of, like, I'm the young laddie, I need to like know my place and speak when spoken to sort of thing. And um, yeah, it was it was quite crazy that time. And um, 
if I often ask myself, would it be different if the reserves, if there was still a reserve team? I think it probably would have been because they'd have been forced to watch me play football. They'd have been, you know, at, at games and I'd have been playing against better opposition and proving myself against better opposition. And that probably would, you know, would have gone in my favour. Um, but like I say, it's, you know, you can't, you can't question the importance of Paul mm. Cook's job, which was to get Chesterfield into League One. He assembled a squad that's probably the best squad that Chesterfield have had in recent memory. And, you know, <laughs> just unfortunate for me that I was there at the same time and couldn't get a game. <laughs> Interestingly, you, in the 2014-15 season, which was when we got into the playoffs in League One, you actually did end up coming on, didn't you, against Port Vale when Ian Everett was sent off? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I can't remember what during that stage, but I'd sort of won Paul Cook round a bit, and I was, you know, I was training well, and he pulled me in his office and said that I was, you know, I was training well, and he was happy with me, and I'd performed, I'd had a loan spell out somewhere, and I'd done really well, um, so that sort of got me in favour a bit, and I got in a few squads, and which was I'd not been in squads for like six months, so it was quite pleasing that I was. You know, I was actually getting somewhere and it just so happened that that game against Port Vale that, um, yeah, he never got sent off and I was the only centre-half on the bench. And so they, they threw me on. I can remember, again, sort of, I went back to sort of the older shot game where I was like that nervous. Like I felt a bit like, obviously, because I'd not been as involved and I felt like a bit of an imposter and it was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous here. And I was that nervous. I just ran onto, like, I got my shirt on and just ran onto the pitch. I didn't even wait forever to like, get all the way off the pitch. <laughs> and I can remember me sat in the changing room after, and the lads were like, "You know, you just ran on the pitch, didn't you? You're supposed to wait." And I was like, "I can't remember. I just remember running on the pitch." <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was a bit of a strange one. But um, that was a tough game, the Port Vale game. I can remember it was Tom Pote that I was marking, and the gaffer said to me before I went, and he was like, "Do not let him head the ball because if he had, if he gets a header in our in sort of our six yard box." He's going to score. Um, he's obviously a very prolific goal scorer and you know, big, strong bloke. Um, but yeah, sort of the however long it was, um, did pretty well. Put some tackles in, and you know that was, and um, we got the result in the end. Um, that game was actually, you know, I don't know if you were there or what, but it was there was some there was some trouble, and it all kicked off after the game. I think there was sort of a race incident. And we had Armand, who was very upset, quite rightly. Um, I think, and you know, there's quite a lot of trouble after the game, and that sort of after that, it was like a band. It was more like right, we're a team now. Like we've dealt with that, and we've gone out. And after that, I sort of felt a bit more part of it. Um, um, sort of, I proved that I can deal with situations where I'm thrown in the deep end and, and what have you. And so. Yeah, I thought a bit a bit more part of it then. And what was the dressing room like then after that Port Vale game? So I'm guessing you didn't really have a normal like post-match team talk with all that stuff that had gone on. To be fair, it probably took us about half an hour to get back in the changing room because it was it was crazy. Um everyone was kicking off. You know, our man, we had to try and stop our man going into the stand because he was hell bent on going into the stand after one of their supporters. And from what their support was doing, honestly can't blame him. Part of me was just like, right, go on then. Go and, go and do what you need to do. But obviously that's not the right thing to do. Um, but yeah, it was it was really heated. You could sort of feel the atmosphere in the change room. Armand was visibly upset and 
you know, as as a teammate, we were all upset and it was quite, you know, very disappointing. I mean, I like to think that I've, I've not lived a sheltered background. Um, so I've obviously grew up in Mansfield, which isn't um, sort of quite an affluent place. But, you know, I'd never experienced anything on that level before. Um, and it was, you know, upsetting for me. Um, so obviously with Armand, who's maybe has dealt with stuff like that in the past as well, it was, and obviously we've got other players that have dealt with similar situations and you could see sort of the emotion on the player's face and Paul Cook really dealt with that well after the game because he sort of consolidated us all as a team and he was like, it's us against the world sort of thing. And it was that sort of mentality that, you know, it's, you know, they everyone wants us to fail, everyone wants, you know, to beat us, we're the team to beat. And it sort of built all the players up together and created a really strong bond with the team. Yeah. And then, like you mentioned, so you had a your full debut then next match, which was... Uh, eventful again so it was a trophy match wasn't it away at Scunthorpe yeah it was trophy matching you know what reflecting back on that match I wasn't I was nowhere near fit enough um I'd not been playing playing football I don't think I'd been out on loan yet at that stage so I'd not played much football um the like I say there was quite a lot of young players playing in that in that game um but I felt obviously I got sent off but I felt like I didn't do myself any any wrong in that game. You know, Paul Cook spoke to me after the game, said I did well. Uh, I can remember when I got sent off and I thought, oh, he's going like, to tear me a new one here. He's going to really get stuck into me. But he just gave me, he like, gave me a bit of a cuddle as I was walking off the pitch. You know, some of the Scunthorpe fans were giving me some abuse. And he turned around and gave them some abuse back, which I was like grateful for. Um, got to say, I've just, I've just before we started talking, I was watching the highlights of that match, and like they were both really quite innocuous yellows. They're like both on the halfway line, and right, yeah. really soft. If I remember rightly, I think the second one probably was a yellow card. The the one that I got sent off for was a yellow card because, like I say, I was quite, I was defending, although I was quite high on the halfway line, I was probably the last man. So if, if he'd have gone past me, he would have been through on goal. Um, whereas sort of the first one, if I remember, it was just a, a bit of a late tackle, but I'd not gone in with my studs up or anything like that. And it was my first tackle. So normally you get that one free, don't you? So mm. I can remember thinking at half time that I'd been booked. I needed to be careful, but it was, um, yeah, I don't think it was a sending off. And like I say, it was, it was something that sort of, ru- not ruined the occasion, but, I'll always look back on that occasion fondly, other than that point. Um, like I said, I thought that I'd done all right in that game. I played against some experienced strikers in Gary McSheffrey and uh, Paddy Madden, who were seasoned veterans at that yeah. level. Even even then, they were, you know, really, really sharp, really, really quick. And so sort of you're looking at, at now, I think Paddy Madden's still playing, but obviously Gary McSheffrey's retired. And at that point, you're looking at, at those players and you're expecting them to win the game sort of the side that we set up compared to theirs mm. uh, but yeah I, th- I felt like I didn't do myself any harm I dealt with a lot of the threats they posed and and Paul Cook sort of reiterated that fact to me sort of when we had a chat one on one and I felt quite positive after that game to be fair It would have been another hard season to get on the pitch because we were just doing so well in, yeah. in League One and everything at that time Um and then I suppose did it was it not then that much of a surprise when you got released at the end of that season or, or? now to be fair it was I sort of 
I put a lot of stuff into place in preparation for me being released because I sort of I was never going to get into that team. Um, I just have to be honest with that. He was. You look at the players in that team, especially the ones in my position. You had Ian Everett, Liam Cooper. Obviously, we all know what Coops has gone on to do, and he's had a fantastic career. And Ian Everett, although he's coming to the end of his career, was still an absolutely brilliant player, probably the best centre half in that league. And and then you had Sam Erd as well, who who was brought to the club as, as club captain by John Sheridan, who had played you know over three or four hundred games in non-league at the point um, that I was there. And you look at it, and then you've got obviously you had Matty Brown and Charlie Raglan as well, who were you know, Matty Brown's gone on to have a fantastic career in non-league um, and Charlie Raglan's still playing in the league. So it's it's one of them where you think, really, did you have any chance at all? Probably probably not. Um, <laughs> it was a fantastic squad that uh, Paul Cook had assembled. And like I say, it was, it was in my mind that, you know, I'd always looked after my education. I'd made sure that whilst the other lads were messing around at college and, and not taking it seriously, that I I did take it seriously. I did an extended version of the um, the apprenticeship that was necessary. And I knew that I, you know, I had a very good backing in terms of my parents as well, um, who'd always encouraged my education. And, you know, my dad nearly didn't let me join the youth team because I weren't allowed to do A-levels. So he was, you know, on the education from really, really pro, uh, really positive. And like I say, I'd already, I'd applied for university. I'd already applied for university by the time I was released. That's how sure I was that I was going to be, um, that I was going to leave him. Um, it was a case of being called into the office one day and it was actually, they did it with me and uh, Charlie Dawes, who was there as well, who's, you know, since, since we've both been at Chesterfield, we've remained friends and we've played together in non-league on numerous occasions. And, Actually, sat us both down at the same time and just said, "Look, you're um, you both young lads. You've got you know, you've got a lot of years ahead of you in terms of playing football. It's just at this time, um, you, you, your future's not at this football club." Um, they actually said um, to me that you know we've had a few few teams interested in in taking you on trial. If you want us to get in touch, we can do that. And I sort of said at the time I had an agent. I was just like, "I'll have a I'll have a chat with my agent and see and see what I can sort out." And um, yeah, it was, and that was it. And they said, "Look, you're free. You're welcome to train till the end of the season if you want. You can come in and train." And at well, the end of the season, there's not going to be a uh, contract renewal there for you. It's that's it. And I sort of took it upon myself to just think, well, you know, it's there's probably a few months left of the season. Um, I need to sort of sort out what I'm going to do after this year. And you know, I just took it upon myself to sort of take myself away and just and just leave and. I felt like if I stuck around the club any longer, it'd be, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be poisonous. I wouldn't want my sort of, obviously I'm going to be upset. I've been released. I wouldn't want my, I wouldn't want to upset the positivity in the group. And, you know, it was that sort of feeling that I just thought it's probably best if I just go to be fair. And um, that was it. That was it. I can remember walking out the door and, and taking on my kit and just being like, right, that's it done. And I went home and um, I had a chat with my mum, chat with my dad and, I had probably a few weeks to sulk in before my mum said, right, well, you're not sitting around sulking, you need to go and sort yourself out. And like I said, I'd applied for university. Um, I'd applied for a few jobs as well by at this time and fortunately got a job and and that was it. It was it was the case of sitting down with uh, my agent, David Reeves at the time, and we had a few offers to go on trial in Scotland and, and stuff like that. And 
that was something that I was willing to pursue and and what have you. But like I say, I'd I'd been accepted into university and realistically would, you know, moving up to Scotland, maybe get a six month contract and then have to say if I got released after that six months contract, would I then have to go wait another year before I could apply for university again? Um and I just thought honestly it'd just be best to play sort of non-league football part-time and then do my studies and get my education under my belt to the point that, you know, that side of things can, you know, I'll, I'll always have that under my belt, sort of my degree. And I can look at sort of maybe at that point, looking to get back into professional football after I've done my degree. And um, yeah, came close a few times, but you never really materialised to be honest. So, but. so you did a, you did a degree in sport education and special and inclusive education. That what it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it was so essentially it was two degrees in one and you know it was something that at the time i thought well if i've got a, a degree in two different subjects it would be sort of advantageous when i'm looking to apply for jobs obviously you've got yeah. you've got more stuff to work with and more experience and it was really good really enjoyed my time at university um you know got my degree um and never looked back really it was it was brilliant and I was able to play football uh, in non-league to quite a high standard throughout that time um, I played for uh, when I first got released I went to Micklover um, with Glenn Kirkwood and Craig Hopkins and really enjoyed my time there you've been to a few haven't you so I, I wondered if we get a few words on each of your clubs because obviously when sometimes when Chesterfield are not playing fans like to go and, and visit a non-league yeah. and there's some brilliant ones out there and like you've said earlier it's proper full throttle football isn't it yeah. um so you've been to places like boston yeah, boston grantham pontefract work yeah. uh yeah a few a few mentions of clubs that you've really liked playing with and, and clubs where you think fans would get a really good match day experience yeah i mean i'll have to say sort of Michelover first and foremost were brilliant for me in terms of the chairman as well were brilliant um then from Michelover, I went to Boston. Um, so I actually went with Adam Murray, who was the ex-Mansfield manager. Mm-hmm. He was the manager at Boston at the time. And when I was at Michelover, we played uh, Mansfield in pre-season. I had a really good game. We, we beat them in pre-season. They took quite a strong team. Um, and obviously, being from Mansfield, I knew, I knew quite a few people who were involved with the first team. And I sort of heard whispers that they wanted to sign me. So I was potentially on the verge of signing for Mansfield. Uh, but that that move never came into fruition. And um but again when Adam Murray left he left Mansfield and took charge of Boston, he took me to Boston instead. Um but I say it's, there's loads of there's loads of very good teams in in non-league, but Boston's sort of the highest that I've played in in terms of level and it's also the closest to getting back to professional club. It's really ran very very good very very well um the chairman is brilliant they've just built a new ground uh jordan burrows is there at the minute i think who's ex chesterfield who's had a brilliant non-league career and so yeah they, they've got boston's got you know in sort of five six years time that they, they want to be in the league and that's sort of you know they've got everything in place at the minute to do that and you know it's a bit of a strange one because it's so far away uh, from anything really it's just in the middle of nowhere Boston and it's you know Lincoln's probably its closest competitor so it's 
if you get if they get that going, it, it'll be massive because they've got a massive fan base. Um, you know, in terms of other clubs, you know, workshop that I'm at now, you know, arguably the best manager that I've played for in non-league is, you know, the manager now, Craig Parry, who's, you know, he's in terms of my managing the best that I've worked with. Um we've got a fantastic again, a fantastic chairman um under Pete Whitehead who's Absolutely brilliant. He does everything for the club. He's down at the club all, all, all times of day, every day of the week. Um, we've got fantastic volunteers down there. We've got a massive, again, for the size of the club, the size of the town. It's only a small town workshop, but um, it's got a massive fan base and lots and lots of people who, you know, if you walk around workshop, they, they treat you as sort of like a like this celebrity really because you play for the first team it's like playing for a step four non-league club and all these people are you walking around the town and like oh jack you're all right and it's you know it's weird in a way because you never really got that at chesterfield so it's yeah it's you know workshop's a fantastic club and like i say at the minute we're we're doing all right i think we're six fifth or sixth in the league um bit of a shaky start but hopefully we'll be up there or thereabouts at the end of the season and you and you kind of work in on the pitch and off the pitch, aren't you? With, with yeah, work. yeah, I'm full. I work full time. It works up in the minute um, in the academy. So I'm doing. Uh, I'm a, technically I'm a football development officer. So I oversee sort of the academy um, alongside Laurie Griffin, who's the academy director, um, and I sort of oversee other football development. So we're looking at going into schools, um, potentially trying to run like after school clubs and stuff, just so we can then sort of create partnerships within the local community and get children from those schools who maybe don't have access to football um, for various reasons and get them down to the football club and show them what we can offer. And um, it's running really, really well at the minute. We've got, you know, a fantastic academy that's playing. We play against professional teams. So this Saturday we had a tournament with our under eights and nines against Sheffield United and uh, Lincoln. And we've played Sunderland. We've played, you know, Derby's, Forest. This all, it's brilliant. We get to play against all the professional clubs and we've got some great contacts and it's really it's really useful it's sort of my first step into football full-time I've done various jobs before that and you know it's you go to work every day and you absolutely love it so what else can you ask for and then obviously you're playing for the first team as well mm-hmm. so works up through and through at the minute yeah and it's I mean you've still got like half your career left haven't you on the pitch yeah <laughs> Even well, that, what are you 27 27 just yeah just 27 you've got another 10 years yeah haven't you playing <laughs> oh i don't know about that they've got a i've got got some bad knees and a bad back with being so tall so um we don't know about another 10 years maybe another five or six um maybe if i'm lucky but yeah it's um you know it's football something that i want to be in all my life even when i finish playing i want to sort of progress into the next sort of to the managerial positions if, if possible and you know, I want to go into, um, you know, coaching and academies and stuff that, although that I'm doing that now, um, to be somewhere, you know, where it's maybe doing a youth team or something like that, running someone's youth team, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. And, you know, where, where that takes you, you never know. Um, it's like I say, I'm doing my coaching badges now and um, obviously all the uh, experience that I've got since I've left Chesterfield has sort of built me up to this moment. So, yeah. yeah positive about it and and final couple of things so, so you mentioned you've mentioned a couple of times Jacob Hazel and I've, I've seen that he's yeah. scored he just scores a shed loads of goals doesn't he like I wondered if you'd ever come up against him 
<laughs> you must have. I have. I have. I've played against him a few times, to be fair. To be, where me and Jacob had quite a good relationship, a bit of a love-hate relationship, to be fair, when we was in the youth team. And, um, you know, different banner that, that gets thrown about. And um, he was sort of seen as like the, the you know, because he, he, he himself had a really good um, apprenticeship in his first year. He scored like over 20 goals in his first year. So he was sort of like the big dog of the dressing room. Well, he likes, I thought he liked to think that anyway. And, um, yeah, he's, like I say, he's, he's the one who's had a great career and wherever he's gone, he's just scored goals. And that's what he prides himself on. He, you know, we used to take the mick out of him in the youth team because, you know, we used to say, all you do is just score goals. He was like, yeah, but that's what strikers do, just score goals. And it's uh, something that he's, he's, he's carried with him wherever he's gone. He's playing at Whitby now and by all accounts, he's playing very well. Um, I think they're doing quite well in the league too. So, yeah, he's... Yeah, he's a mate that, that I've, you often come across in, in football, you know, players, you know, the age that I am now, the amount of times that I've played in non-league, it's very rare that you play against someone where you don't know mm. someone on the opposition. So it's, you know, like I say, there's, there's Jacob and, you know, John Wafula still plays sort of rel- relatively high level in non-league. Um, still speak to him quite often amongst other players. So, yeah, it's good. And, and final question. So you mentioned David Reeves, used to be your agent. I had him on the podcast and he was really funny. And obviously lots of players talk about what he was like in the dressing room. I just wonder what he was like as an agent. <laughs> yeah, he was brilliant. I mean, he'd, he'd always he'd always look out for me and he was, first and foremost, he was in my corner all the time. Um, there were some clashes, I think, uh, between himself and Paul Cook, but I don't really know too much about them. I was sort of kept out of the loop. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, Reezy was brilliant. He was... So my youth team manager, Dave Bentley, who was sort of like my second dad, really, at, at that time, he, um, when it was sort of coming to fruition that I was going to get my contract and, you know, that there was teams interested in me, sort of pulled me inside and said, look, I'm going to put you in touch with someone because you need someone now to look after you. And he put me in touch with David Reeves, um, who from the get-go was brilliant. He, I think he was probably a bit disappointed in me at the end when I said, look, I'm not sort of. I'm not interested in pursuing full-time football at the minute. I just want to go to university and get my education. I think he was a bit disappointed, um, but like I say, that's that was my choice and that was my preference at the time. And looking back, would I have done things differently? Maybe, but you know, um, you've got to live with the decision you've made. And obviously, David was there to advise me, and he was brilliant throughout the time. He was like, like I say, always in my corner always telling me that I need to be out playing football and, and stuff, which is 100% right. And yeah, he was, you know, I've lost touch with him now, but yeah, I really appreciate all the stuff that he did for me at that time. I'd, I'd love to see David Reeves and Paul Cook having an argument, I bet it would be. <laughs> oh, I think two, two fiery scousers, yeah, it'd be a good one, that wouldn't it? Correct.